Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Hey, say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. I caught you off guard with that hey, didn't I? Well, it was a little familiar. <laughs> um, ben, why don't you tell the people where they can find your work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and starting this with this month's issue at Car and Driver. Ooh, so cool. Um, you can find my work at Driving.ca, as well as Auto Trader and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week I think we're going to be talking about um, the same car. What do you think? Uh, not car, truck. Yeah. yeah I, well, I think, I think you're right. And what vehicle is that, Sammy? It's the, get this. Land Rover Defender 90 P400. I think that's the end of the name. No, I think there's an X-Dynamic that's like tacked onto the end of that. Or in there somewhere. X-Dynamic. I just want to talk about the D90. Because when I was growing up, when I was a teenager in the 90s, this was like a mythical vehicle, Sammy. The the D90 was never sold in, in North America officially, or if it was, it was very brief. Um, so in Canada, they were all gray market imports. And I never saw them because where I grew up, they just you know there weren't a lot of Land Rovers. Period. Um, but I remember encountering them in video games and not knowing anything about them, and then like trying to research them and find out about them. It was just like this. This it was a Land Rover we weren't allowed to have, and it was supposedly more rugged and it looked a lot less, uh, or I guess more industrial and old school than any of the Land Rovers that were currently on the market. And mm-hmm. do you? Have, what are your memories of the D ninety like? Um, I don't have memories exa- exactly. Um, I've always seen them, and I've always thought they looked really familiar. Not always seen them, but when I did see them, I always mistake them for like early Land Cruisers. Um, and then when you go to Europe, you see them. A fa- you, you, you see them a bit more frequently, um, and they're not used like in the like anywhere near cities. In in my experience, uh, I've seen them in like like when I go to Ireland or or London. Uh, usually don't catch them there. They're mostly like rural or farmer vehicles in my experience. So seeing this vehicle come to North America, though, it's really um, it's a fresh design, man. It looks good. Well, it's the the current model, the one that we're getting, is all new, and it's the first time in decades that Land Rover has done anything with the Defender platform. And they've softened it, Sammy, in some ways, but kept the capability because from what, from how you described it, you know, these were vehicles that were intended for people living in rural areas who wanted to access, you know, parts of their farm that they didn't have a road into, things like that. Uh, It wasn't really a luxury vehicle, although there were luxury versions because why not, right? If you can turn that profit, you're going to do it. But the one that came to North America or that is in North America now, it's kind of a weird blend of basic and not so basic like the the lineup for the defender 90 which is i guess a reference to the wheelbase i'm not sure if that's still accurate because it's a 110 that is a four-door which i've also driven but the the 90s starting price is like forty-seven thousand, something right around there and it goes up to a hundred and ten thousand, which is like more than double uh the base price and there's not a lot of vehicles that can do that um no it scales like that and i'm i i mean i'm you're caught off guard, I think, because the model I had was not particularly um, luxurious, I think. No, not, neither it. was mine. I, I had the X-Dynamic, which we actually both had. It starts mm-hmm. at 60000 and it's 
it's weird to kind of call it the mid-range because the next model is $83,000, <laughs> which is a huge jump. That's like twenty three, almost $25,000. Whereas yeah. the base from the, 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 the turbo four-cylinder base, which is 300 horsepower roughly, to the X-Dynamic, which is a $10,000 price premium roughly with um, 395 horsepower and I think 406 pound-feet of torque from a super sweet inline six engine. It, that, that feels way more reasonable. I think that probably X-Dynamic is the trim most people will get. But <laughs> there's puzzlingly basic aspects of this vehicle that kind of clash with what Land Rover has built up as their image on this continent. Okay, describe a few for me. Because, the, the, I, I mean, for me, the seats felt really um, – they, they didn't seem premium. They didn't feel like cloth, but they didn't feel premium. Like they were short and like – Squishy, not squishy. The Light. seats, the seats are, are a huge part of it for me. There's no power adjustment for <laughs> oh, sliding yeah, for, it. How did I forget about this? Yes. yes. So you have to reach under like a peasant and grab a lever and slide the seat, which is fine in a car unless it costs sixty thousand dollars to start with. So it, it's it's unusual because we're not we're conditioned to think of Land Rover as luxury. There is power adjustment for the seat angle, but mm-hmm. that's it. So. Um, there's also no cooled seats in the version that I had. The heat nope. it does have heated seats. Uh, the the rest of the interior, though, Sammy, it's really Spartan. Um, I like yeah. the design. I like how it looks. There's a neat like grab handle that extends across nearly the entire dashboard with a break for the gauge cluster, and mm-hmm. then that grab handle on either side is integrated into a pull handle for getting in and out of the vehicle, which you can actually touch while the doors are closed, too. So it's like all one piece, and it looks pretty neat. But the materials are not luxurious. You're looking at reasonably soft-touch plastics mixed with some fairly mid-grade plastics, I would call them. Yeah, and like almost like like industrial kind of uh, cabin in terms of that, in terms of you know, Spartan feeling. Very, very um, much so. Like, it's utilitarian, I think, is the word I would use. Right. The exterior design, though, can we just talk one moment about that? It is a, it, to me, the first impression is really strong, um, really adorable in terms of that, uh, it's a two-door, this, this 90 version, and the 110 is the four-door. And I had, I mean, I had comments from people who thought it looked great, and I had comments from people who thought it looked a little like the proportions were awkward because of that shortened that that two door setup. I didn't have anyone really react to the vehicle uh, <laughs> personally, but I did. I, I like it. I think it looks really good. I think it looks different from. I mean, there aren't really any two door SUVs on the road right now, except for the Wrangler and mm-hmm. and the new Bronco. And the new Bronco is kind of, I think, a bit too new for it to have really uh, been absorbed into the popular consciousness. So this thing does stand out. And I I, I want to say there's a weird so. There's kind of a weird side panel along the back of the Defender where it's blacked out and it's a window, but you can also get a version of this vehicle that takes a a box, like a storage box, and attaches it to the side of the window where the window would be. And it's like a lump and it just kind of sticks out there and it's super awkward looking. And my version did not have that. And I am so grateful. I, I didn't have that in my 90, but when I drove the 110, I think last year it had that. It was like fully kitted out, this 110, with a roof rack and uh, this storage, this lockbox that like just invited people to, to try to steal something out of it. Yeah, it, it looks like it's just basically, like, it doesn't look like it's well attached. It seems as <laughs> though you'd be able to walk up to it and grab it. I'm not saying you can, but I'm, think, I'm thinking like if you were a thief 
and uh, you didn't necessarily have any scruples about damaging a vehicle, you might at least try to get into this box. It's not like most automotive storage is is concealed. Like um, the Ram box inside the fenders. And I think Ford has in the past, like in the 70s, they had a... uh, a storage compartment that was ahead of the rear wheel wells in the box, and that was lockable as well. And, of course, we all know about the Honda Ridgeline, which is under the bed. So it's strange to see, like, this pop-up kind of taunting thieves style of of uh, transporting cargo. Um, and then, but back to the interior, you also have to be a fan of exposed... Um screws right like there's a ton of exposed screws in the in, in the cabin of the vehicle it's part of the aesthetic i think the design uh, a little bit of charm there do you think those are attached to anything i didn't notice these screws where are they they're everywhere on the door panels and uh and interior panels i did notice that there's a lot going on with the center console like it seems yeah. to be divided into a whole bunch of sections uh some of them are covered some of them aren't just like a a place where you can just, I guess, dump gear and then access it from the sides, too, if you want. I loved that bin. I thought that bin was great. It's it's not... I mean, I'm not saying I dislike the bin, but I'm Stop saying... Stop talking bad about the bin. It, it It's, again, that mix of utilitarian styling with a luxury price. Did you try to get into the back seats? I did. It's not so bad. Um, yeah. I don't... The seat didn't really go back to the original position I was in, so I had to readjust yeah. it. And given... I noticed that, too. I thought that was so funny. I'm like, oh, this is not comfortable anymore. Like, Yeah. So given that it's 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 manually adjusted, right? You can't just hit the memory button and go back to where you were. So every time yeah. you slide the, the front seats forward to put someone in the back seat, you're going to be going through this rigmarole readjustment process. But that being said, there is adult-friendly size room in that back seat which surprised me especially in head in terms of headroom and then this vehicle had or at least ours had a giant panoramic sunroof and then these kind of like safari windows that kind of extended onto the roof as well yeah it, what's funny too is uh so mine had both of those features but the the cover for the panoramic sunroof when yeah. i got out of the vehicle it closed yeah. automatically and then I, when i got back in it opened up automatically and yet it doesn't have power seats you know it's, it's yeah. like it's it's a weird mix and match. It, I, I also, you know, you hear that all the time that like when you turn on the car and then you hear this like uh, cloth ah, cover. Yeah, and you're yeah. Like, what is happening with the car? And I like I, I like have to check is the car raising right now or lowering or something like Cause you because you can't see it. Like where you where the start of yeah. the moonroof is is like just behind your head, yeah. so you don't you can't make. There's no like fl- little bit of action that grabs your eye as it starts to open up. Um, let's talk about the cargo space in this vehicle, of which, when those rear seats are up, very limited. Almost and then when none. You... If, you go to, if you go to the Land Rover website, uh, they have, like, uh, an overview where, like, when the vehicle is filled with five passengers, there's these two thin suitcases standing straight up in the cargo compartment. And I don't know what's in them, but not much. And then you can fold the rear seats, but when you do, it's like... It's not a level sort of storage area. Like it just isn't. It just doesn't seem very practical. It doesn't fold flat, is what you're saying. No. And then, of course, you also have to deal with the fact that the um, tailgate is not a lift gate. It's like a swing style gate of our old, you know, back when we used to have those all the time. Yeah. There's. I, I want to. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, just, so the cargo space is 58 cubic feet total, or 15 with the. Um, rear seats up so 15 is less than what you would find in a large sedan trunk uh and 58 is just a little bit more than you'd find in say a volkswagen golf so yeah. it's it's not a huge amount either way you swing it but talking about that gate it is mm-hmm. heavy 
It's be- heavy, and I don't. Every time I closed it, I wasn't sure I closed it right. It I makes it makes a big thunk it. sound. That's for sure. But it, it's not just heavy because of the tire that's on it, mm. uh, which adds a, a bunch of weight. It's also heavy because every aspect of this vehicle's egress e- e- and ingress points are heavy. Um, the front doors are really big. They they extend quite a ways down underneath the opening of the passenger area and they're long so like i've had passengers in this vehicle who had difficulty opening the door when we were parked at an angle on a hill because gravity was pushing this giant door back on them and i know that part of that is so that you can easily access the rear seat they have to have a big space but it's something to consider if you're a smaller person or you know you're gonna have a kid who's gonna be opening that door it might be a hassle again um i noticed for a vehicle that didn't have vented seats or power adjustable seats there was a feature to lower the vehicle from the trunk space, um, letting you load and unload groceries um, pretty easily. But again, just a curious thing to to be dealing with when it comes to the this Defender. Like the the priorities are not to me. The priorities aren't like in favor of um, comfort or or convenience. It's well- more about practicality and ruggedness yeah i think that the reason that it has that um that capability is because once you get to the uh, uh, so i think that's an option uh i don't think I, air suspension is standard on the x dynamic right. it's it starts the the base defender and the x dynamic both have coil i believe and then if you get to defender x that's the eighty three thousand dollar model that has uh like an active dire- differential and terrain response too, and all sorts of stuff on it. And in fact, you know, I'm looking at these trim levels now, and I did not get a window sticker with my vehicle. It's mm-hmm. possible I either have a highly optioned X Dynamic or I have a Defender X uh, type model because mine had terrain response to go with the um, air suspension. Yep. And uh, that's something that only comes with Defender X. So again, these vehicles are pretty configurable. You can do a lot of different things with them. But like you, t- to your point about capability versus comfort yeah the the suspension the air suspension yeah it's sort of a luxury feature but really on a vehicle like the defender it's to give you more ground clearance when you need it and i think that you know people are going to want ground clearance without necessarily wanting leather seats that are heated and cooled so it's it's the ability to get that is is interesting i want to get to the uh capability in just one short moment can we talk about the visibility of this vehicle, um, because like the rearward visibility is is not great. No, it's it's not great. Um, there is a tire back there, obviously. Yep. And, and the workarounds are also not great. Just in fr- just in front of that tire, there's also a pop up headrest for the se- the second row, and that yep. when that's up, even when it's down, but especially when it's up, it almost completely blocks the rear view. The mirror has something called. I can't remember exactly. There's there's like a, a name for the um the camera. Clear it's view, a... I think, or something like that. Yeah. And it's a camera, but it's not a great camera, Sammy. Tell me one of the things that is a little weird about this setup. I know what you don't like about it, but I'm gonna start with what I don't like about it, is that it's super zoomed in for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's like... what I was gonna say too. <laughs> it seems like the car is like like an entire car length like further or longer than it is you right? can't see anything but the roof of the car behind you yeah if it pulls up behind you in traffic you know like you look at the rear view and you it's like you're looking down because you have a height advantage in an suv but with this camera no man all you're seeing is like maybe the driver's head and the roof of the car so you can't gauge how close it is to you so when it comes to parking that means you don't use the mirror at all you use all the cameras and there are a lot of cameras on this car i think that's <laughs> one of the coolest features of it 
And but uh, you get nauseous, I think, at the refresh rate of these uh, of these rear view camera displays, right? Yeah, looking, not uh, whatever you want to call it, rear view mirror camera. Display. Looking back and forth uh, from the windshield to the camera display is disconcerting. Just they're not the same image, mm-hmm. and they're both moving in different directions. And it's just not pleasant. I was actually driving around today testing out this feature specifically, and I had to turn it off. And this isn't a knock against Land Rover, but there's a number of these um, camera-based systems that act in the same way, and I don't like how they integrate with my vision. So yeah, I well, choose sometimes not to they have them. like a super wide angle or a really narrow angle, and just like it's disorienting. I agree with you on that. So I um I want to interject. I've been looking. So there's three different versions of the X Dynamic. Going up to 69,000. I think that my vehicle, it's a Canadian spec build, so it's a little bit different than the trims that are available in the US, but I'm pretty sure mine was much closer to a Defender X, um, which is weird because, again, it's 83,000 and it still didn't have the luxuries I would expect at that price. Yeah. Um, Yeah, let's let's move on from this, though, and talk about the powertrain because I, I thought the powertrain was actually pretty good. Um, I didn't have a lot of complaints about it. I thought that straight six uh, with a mild hybrid or 48 volt um, addition was surprisingly smooth. And it did um, it made the vehicle feel pretty confident um, on road, keeping up with traffic and tootling around town. I don't know how this would feel, though, with a four cylinder motor. I don't think it would be the same um, confidence level. I had to. I found myself having to attenuate how I drove the vehicle at first because there's a huge jump off the line with this drivetrain. It really, really throws torque at you quickly. And if you're not careful, it just surges ahead. And I had to just... I've been driving a lot of different vehicles this week. So, (laughs) you know, ranging from like large V8s to kind of small manual transmission four cylinders. And the, the Defender was the one that took the most getting used to. There's just so much usable torque right away. And like you said, once you get going, it's very smooth. But power delivery is quite quick. So uh, I, I like the motor. Um, I think it's it reminds me of a much more powerful version of the Turbo 4 in the Wrangler, which is my favorite Wrangler motor. So that's okay. a really good thing. I think that it's probably the styling, the form factor, and the drivetrain are my favorite parts of the Defender 90. And then what about, imagine this thing with a V8, right? I don't think it's necessary. It has such a short wheelbase that I wouldn't want to tempt fate with that much power. (laughs) Um, What about the rest of the dynamics of this car? Because even though it was loaded up with these um, all-terrain tires, I found that it rode reasonably well um, and in many ways better than a a Wrangler or what I imagine a, a Bronco would feel like. This felt pretty normal on the road. Uh, and I imagine it'd be pretty confident off-road as well. Yeah, it's got four-wheel independent suspension. It's got the air ride that we were talking about. Uh, it's, you know, a much more civilized vehicle than a Wrangler, no question. I haven't driven a Bronco, so I can't say. Uh, but it's... Dri- you drove the Bronco Sport. I drove the Bronco Sport. That? No, I'm not going to compare it to that. That's that's hardly fair. But in terms of something you could drive every day, yeah, sure, you're not going to have any issues. I mean, it's not... It doesn't feel particularly like it wants to handle corners and stuff like it's not it's a relaxed ride it's not the kind of thing you're going to want to flog around and and have fun with on the street it's mostly focused for people who are never going to take it off road so they probably won't ever get to sample its charms um but it from everything that i've read or talked to from friends who have taken it off road it is quite capable it even has this interesting wade feature where if you're going into water it'll you, you select the wade mode and it closes all the vents 
and uh, it keeps the brakes uh, activated when you crawl out of the water to help dry them. And it's got a, you know, just features like that that are intended to make it comparable to the model it's replacing that was really rugged and hardcore. But it's much simpler in terms of operation. It doesn't have like all these different gear ratios you have to consider because it's got a lot of power. So it just kind of has a standard all-wheel drive system with a low range and the, the terrain select system for managing, you know, slip control and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, did you like? Did you mess around with any of those other modes at all? I tried a few of them, um, but I'm mostly on road, so there's not really for for driving modes. Again, to kind of uh, hone in on the fact that it's not meant for sporty driving, it just kind of has a comfort setting and then a whole bunch of off road settings. <laughs> like, and then no the trend. I didn't have a sport or anything like that. Well, the transmission has like next to D. There's an S that you can nudge the the gear stick into, which didn't really make a huge difference. And yeah. if you wanted to, you could use the paddle shifters to change gears as well. Uh, it, didn't, um, it didn't like change the suspension settings or anything no. like that. You know? No, no. Um, what else do you, did you that stood out for you with this vehicle? Did you like imagine? Would you buy one of these things? So the infotainment system was a little weird. Oh yeah. Um it's okay. It's maybe yep. a bit complicated, but what's the Land Rover and Jaguar have become obsessed with like consolidating control s- structures. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is so there's like just two dials basically aside from volume and scan for the radio. And those dials they control the temperature in the vehicle and then if you push them, they also control other things. And one of them controls the heat on your seat if you happen to have that feature. And yep. the other one is for terrain select, but you have to push a button to activate that. So sometimes and then if you want to change the fan speed, you have to press this fan button first and it turns one of those knobs into the fan speed adjustment knob yeah. as well. So you have of... to do all of this like extra poking in order to get the knobs to do what you want them to do. Each of these button, each of these dials has three different control <laughs> sets, and those are yeah. accessed different ways. One is just standard. One you have to push the button itself, and the other one you have to push a button beside the button. So <laughs> I'm not saying this is a bad design, but it is complicated, and it doesn't need to be. Like you end up with it. A- just takes getting used to. I think if someone bought this, they'd be like proficient with it. Yeah, but I have to ask why it's like this because you end up with a control surface that's maybe the size of like a pencil case from high school <laughs> yeah. on a dashboard. And my issue is in the biggest car you've ever in one of the biggest <laughs> cars ever, right? Like, yeah, no, so... we don't want to we don't want to take up too much space with this control. <laughs> my only my only real issue is for me living in a winter climate. When I want heated seats, I want them because it's cold. And if it's cold enough for heated seats, I'm probably wearing gloves. Anything that makes it harder for me to get the heated seats on or puts barriers between me and the heated seats, I don't tend to like. I just want a rocker switch that turns them on and off. I don't want to have to go through the equivalent of a hardware menu to be able to turn those on and off. At least it's not it's not on this touchscreen like many other vehicles are now, so I don't have to take my glove off to use a touchscreen. You can access the heated seats with gloves in the Land Rover. It's just extra steps that maybe don't need to be there. And then, if you remember what I was comp- when I was complaining about the um, the Jaguar F Pace a while back about changing or customizing the um, the gauge cluster, this is equal. This is the same experience. It's just yeah. not. It's just not like you wouldn't want to do this while you're in, in motion. No, but you're gonna have to one day. <laughs> one day when you least expect it. Um, that's. That, I mean, I I do think, I think it's a it's a pretty gorgeous car. I think the powertrain is solid. Um, there's something cool, like really, like immeasurably cool about it. Isn't is that fair to say? Like, I don't know what it is, but 
it's a cool car. I think right? it's or, cool because I've been um, indoctrinated into the Land Rover D90 cult, like most from a young age, right? And then it's like this middle step between like the Wrangler and Bronco to the G Wagon, right? Like there's this. Then you can, if you don't want either of those, there's this one in the middle. It's the it's the Defender. Well, I it was like the it was like the Forbidden Fruit G Wagon. Oh yeah, know? like that's that's what got it for me. Also, oh, so, while you were talking, I've been digging into this trim level thing because it's it's starting to perplex. <laughs> no, so what I've discovered is that the Canadian trim levels and the American con- trim levels are, shall we say, different. Yeah, that's expected. That happens all the yeah, time. Yeah, so so uh, we we were right when we were talking at the beginning of the show about how it's an X dynamic. In fact, mine is an X dynamic S. But when I try to build a similar vehicle on the U.S. site. It kind of pushes me into the much more expensive version of the the X, which is the eighty two thousand dollar one. Um, so I think that there's some kind of middle ground here that we're you know there's no direct comparison with what we were driving to the U.S. spec, and sometimes that's just what happens, and you can't, can't really do anything about it. Sorry. Um, what would you has this um, kind of whetted your appetite for the? Um... For the Defender, are you now happy that there's one in North America? Yeah, Does it make I you feel like you're going to be seeing a couple of these. And do you want to drive the 110 next? I have driven the 110. Oh um, my mistake! I drove it very briefly, uh, and I liked it. I I thought it was it was pretty cool. Um, the, it's it, I'm glad that there's alternatives like this. Uh, if you look at what Land Rover has done over the past, I want to say five six years. They've really differentiated themselves in terms of the family of SUVs that they're offering. So you can get the the family style stuff, which is the Discovery and the Discovery Sport. You can get the super high luxury stuff like the Velar and the Range Rover and to a certain degree, the Range Rover Sport. And now they've added this kind of adventure option with the Defender. And I think that's cool. And even though, in my mind, the price doesn't really match up with what I expect to get inside of it, if I was just about hardcore adventure, like you said, once you get past paying 50 grand for a Wrangler Rubicon or whatever, a Wild Wing, or what, what's the Wild Track, the, the crazy Bronco? Sasquatch? I don't know something like something hairy or with wings. Um, you're you're at a similar price point, right? For their most hardcore off road options. Yeah. So if you're already there mentally and you want something different or maybe that has um, somewhat of a luxury image, then the Defender is not really a big step past that. And if you wanted off road but you didn't want something like the Range Rover Sport, which is really big and heavy, then the Defender is a similarly priced alternative to that too. So I think it's cool that it's in the in the family of vehicles. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of these things. And especially, you know what, I think J- Jaguar and Land Rover, they get credit for their design. I just, it's, I guess I still want to give them credit for this design. Is that okay? Like, I sure. think it's a good looking vehicle. They managed to make another good looking vehicle. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them on the road. And I, I certainly don't miss like a more hardcore, you know, solid rear axle slow slow and steady version of the defender because those vehicles are still out there on the aftermarket if you want to buy them Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think that would have made sense for land rover to bring over here because they don't have that kind of image in north america even this vehicle is a little bit of a stretch for them right so they they had to bridge that gap and i'm okay with how they chose to do that i I don't have a problem with it and i know they didn't ask me (laughs) but (laughs) if they did that 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 would be my response um Anything else you want to talk about uh, about this week? Uh, about the uh, Defender? No, I think that sums up my Defender thoughts. 
Um, I want to talk about uh, some of our listeners who have been sending us messages. I'd love to address um, Paul, who messaged us um, on the website, who um, said that he just finished listening to my my take of the uh, Mustang GT California Special. This is a, a listener who has one of these, and although he do- he doesn't agree with me that um, with what I said about the exhaust, which I think was that it was too loud, uh, he seems to really like the uh, like the. Um, the exhaust note of this thing, which is fine. I don't mind that. That's cool. Um, he he says the car's great summer summer grand tour, and uh, I agree with him on that. I think that's a great way. That's a great approach to the Mustang um, altogether. Yeah, it's it's, it's he's just a perfect second car, and I think that's a I think that's a good point to make. Um, and mm-hmm. that it is still very quick in a straight line too. Like he he he, uh, he had it out on a summer vacation, and it was a lot of fun, and it got a lot of attention, which uh, I it doesn't surprise me. He also uh mentions that uh he, his is in white and he says he specifically tell, said to tell me that it's not boring i have to say paul i own a white car um in fact i own a panoply of boring color cars i have a white car i have a black car i have a brown jeep and i have a silver car and those are like the most boring colors i think you can get so point made um i need to get some color into my life oh um, we also have a comment from um, Blake. Blake messaged us um, saying that he was wondering if if it makes sense to get a you know a, a well equipped sedan uh, as opposed to all of these really popular compact crossovers like the CRV, Rogue, Rav4, and Tucson. And his point, I think, was that if you compare them price wise, mm-hmm. uh, a top, and equipment wise, yeah, a top tier like V6 Camry or Turbo Accord. You're you're still cheaper than an SUV in this top trim, and you're getting the same kind of equipment. So his his argument is, you know, are these are we being given kind of like a weak set of offerings for for the S from the SUV world uh, in terms of value for money, or is all wheel drive kind of what's bridging the gap and convincing people to spend more, even though they're not getting necessarily the same level of comfort equipment with those vehicles? What do you think, Sammy? Well, I think crossovers appeal to buyers who want more for their money. Even though they're not getting more power or more features, they're going to be getting more space and potentially capability with the all-wheel drive system. And there's a lot of people who who, who think about worst-case scenario of will I be stuck somewhere with an all-wheel drive or will I have to, I don't know, leave my Costco grocering, groceries like uh, in the parking lot and come back for it later or okay. something? I'm right. going to stop you there for a second. If anyone has ever happen. had to, that would never ever no one happen. has ever that's had to ab- abandon their groceries because they bought too many groceries for their car like that's a Scrooge okay, McDuck type about- situation <laughs> that I just like oh I bought the entire store and now I can't get it home I just don't think that happens okay so the reality is that they would like a vehicle with that much space for um for bigger bigger stuff I don't know like uh, like. Um, what are they called? Strollers and whatnot. Or, or um, what are they called? Friends, right? Bringing friends along. <laughs> I do think that um, people have been, and I say people generally, I think that marketing has brainwashed buyers into thinking all-wheel drive is the only thing standing between them and certain death on the road. And it's a fantastic job that car companies have done to make people believe this because they can sell, like at this point, all-wheel drive is usually what, like a $1,200 to $2,000 add-on? for mm-hmm. vehicles that offer it as an option and almost everyone is ticking that box unless they live you know in the south where it's not necessary at all uh, but even then like there's a 
this whole kind of scare tactic campaign focused on rainstorms. And if there's a sudden rainstorm, are you going to be able to get home? Well, probably, yeah, because people have been doing it for decades. But uh, all-wheel drive is kind of a scam in the sense that in the winter, you do not need it if you live somewhere where the roads are salted and plowed on a regular basis, which is where most people live. There is and if, pers- you have, if you have snow tire or winter tires. Winter tires, if you have good tires. It, it, mo- most people live in that situation. I would say, you know, the 20% of people, and I've been in this 20% before, who live where you can't count on a plow and you're going to or you're going to be getting up to go to work before the plow or maybe it's just you know you have a really long driveway and all-wheel drive makes a difference that that's a, a use case that I can understand but marketers have convinced us that the 80% lives in the 20% world and then what about like towing they i mean i don't think that a crv tows particularly very much but you know they ha- they they seem to not make hitches really for. Do they make hitches for Camrys? I oh yeah, they, they make hitches but... for anything. Um, the only thing that really prevents the hard. So I I I have a Cadillac CTSV, and for a long time I wanted to tow a little trailer with it because I wanted to be able to bring tires and stuff to the track with me. And I looked into getting trailer hitches, but the problem was. They were all designed for the regular CTS, which has a different bumper, so it didn't really fit. But the other more pressing problem was they all attached to, like, the trunk floor. And because of that, they had almost no towing capability. And I learned this because at one time I had a crazy idea that I would tow my Datsun with my Cadillac or my Miata. I remember this crazy idea. Yeah, yeah, because, like, the Miata and the Datsun, they weigh, like, 2,500 pounds, right? So you throw in, like, another 1,000 pounds of trailer, and it's really not that much. But and, and you, you you see people they used to tow with like Buick Roadmaster wagons and stuff. They had a full frame, easy to attach a uh, a trailer hitch to. But there's nowhere on a Cadillac unibody to make the connection points required to haul that much weight. So right. that's kind of a consideration for sedan design. And you think crossovers are unibody as well, but they probably have that baked into um, their design. Since they have the taller bumper, it's easier to make a mounting point and not worry about it affecting other things. That's that's my non-engineering standpoint on that. Yeah. Um, I totally think that... And, and when it comes to towing, by the way, in other, in other markets, people tow with hatchbacks and sedans. Like they're not like that's normal. Like that's yeah, not all a, the time. Like, but wait. whatever the reason is, we're told that we need a truck for or a truck or something bigger. Um, also, bigger equals safer to some people, um, and that also uh, plays into that scare tactic that you might need um, a, a, a crossover when you probably don't. Well, you know, there's I have two points I'd like to make about bigger equals safer. For towing, the longer your wheelbase, the more stable it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And the more controlled things will feel out on the road. And it's it's always kind of nervous to tow. E- even with my Jeep, I haven't towed with it yet. But I've talked to people who have. And um, I need a load distributing hitch just to be able to maintain stability uh, with the wheelbase that I have. The other thing about big, bigger equals safer. On modern roads, we're facing down six, seven, nine thousand pound Ford Lightning, sorry, Ford Lightning electric pickup trucks, right? And if that hits you and you're in something small, you're going to (laughs) die. Hey! Uh, that's, that's, it, it's hard to argue with physics, but we're in a world where increasingly people are driving giant vehicles and well, you're a, missing that the potential velocity of a Ford F-150 lightning can do zero to 60 in four seconds. So like. yeah, that much momentum, <laughs> like impacting your vehicle, it makes an arms race where you also have to have a giant vehicle just to survive the impact from the, from your neighbors. So uh, I don't personally feel... Are people consciously thinking about that? Or do you think that's something we just like perceive... 
in the back of our head and just react to it with these purchases. <laughs> I, I don't know if people are like always thinking like, well, I, I better get myself in a in a uh, in a forester in case somebody runs me over or I like think tries some, to hit me. I do think some people think that. I do think some uh, people base their choice on how much vehicle they have around them. I think that's part of the appeal of pickup trucks as daily drivers. But I think about it when I'm out in my Datsun on the highway and yep. every single vehicle around me is enormous and it's yep. scary. And uh, that's the FRS. And you're always like, I have no idea if that person can see me in their mirror yeah. or, or at all. And there are certain situations I'm not comfortable driving in anymore as I get older because I realize how careless people are and how little um, leeway or margin of error there is protecting me from someone else's bad decision. And so then- I'm talking specifically about very congested city driving and some highways in Canada, like the, the 401, which is just truck traffic. <laughs> Yeah. And there's just no way, and impatient not... drivers trying to avoid truck traffic. Yeah, so you're, you're you can get caught in these truck convoys, and when you're in a tiny tin can that has no safety features, and I've I've been in this situation multiple times driving to the racetrack in the Datsun on that highway. It's yeah. it's a very hair raising moment, and you try to stay away from these situations as best you can. And then conversely, when we're talking about sedans, it's not like sedans are unsafe. It's not like sedans don't have the features, don't have the airbags, don't have all, all of that stuff. I, I would recommend a sedan to anyone who doesn't prioritize having the most amount of space um, for the for the for the price, right? I, I also would recommend it to someone who prioritizes handling and fuel economy mm-hmm. and comfort because I think that sedans really kind of rule the day in those areas. Well, I mean, even in terms of um, fuel economy, you can also get worse fuel economy in a sedan because you can get a bigger engine or something. Like yeah, for sure. But anyways. like, if you were to compare, you know. A mid-sized sedan to a mid-sized crossover. Sorry, a mid-sized sedan to a mid-sized SUV. The sedan is almost always going to come out ahead just from a weight perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's, I guess, where I'm coming from with that. Did we answer the question at all or we just discussed it? I think we answered is there an, a question. Is there an answer? <laughs> is Blake, there an answer? Blake's going to have to let us know whether whether that was a, a, an acceptable answer. Um, there yes. is one more thing I want to mention. I know last week I talked about the weird, goopy sludge that we found inside my Jeep. When we pulled the in the, oil. In the oil, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't like living inside the chain. I mean, maybe it's alive at one point. I don't know. You've got some flubber in there. But uh, um, uh, Jay Bradley reached out to me on Instagram, and he wanted to let me know that he's built many engines over the course of his life, and that he's 99% certain that it was Molly Assembly Lube. So... That is a relief, uh, and it's something to worry about. Is that about. confirmation bias? How many people told you that you should be really worried about? It? Nobody, <laughs> nobody told just, me. It was like you just picked the one guy who was like, "Yeah, it's, it's fine." Yeah, I got like seven messages saying your engine's doomed, and then this one message saying everything's fine. But uh, no, he says it's all good. Don't worry. So I'm not going to worry, but I am going to pull the oil in probably a week or two uh, once I get more miles on it, and just kind of see what it looks like. So um, that's a good idea. I think that's, I appreciate I that's the fun. comfort. Thank you for reaching out. Um, if you want to reach out to us like our friends did, there are a couple of ways to do that. First, I would recommend you head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, and at the top of the site, there's a little button. You press contact. You fill out this form, and it lands in our inbox, whatever you just said or typed in. It's very easy. It's probably the most intuitive way of using an internet website um, and getting in touch with friends on the internet. And Sammy <laughs> has to read every message that comes through, so keep that in mind and don't make him cry, folks. Yes. And then uh, additionally, if you want to get in touch with us uh, through social media, that's really easy to do. You can go to Instagram where you can find Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Um, and you can find me on Twitter where I'm Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. 
And uh, Sammy, uh, what are you going to be driving next week? I ooh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm allowed to tell you. I think you, I think you can tell me. How about it's just a secret between you, me, and the thousands of people who are listening right now? <laughs> yes, uh, it's a Toyota with it's a very lightweight Toyota with rear wheel drive. How about that? Is that okay, fair? that's super vague. Um, I am How also driving a rear wheel drive Toyota, but I'm going to tell you what it is. It's yeah. it's the Lexus LC500 convertible. Okay, that's the opposite of what I got. All right. <laughs> So um, thank you for listening, everybody. And remember, www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com if you want to hear past episodes, if you want to subscribe, or if you want to find us on your podcasting services, just Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We are everywhere. And also, if you wanted to uh, send us a tip on Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com forward slash Unnamed Automotive Podcast, we always appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. And I'll talk to you next week, Ben. Bye-bye.